Good morning, church. Good to see you here this morning. And I want you to get your Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. And um, this morning I have the uh, unenviable task of comparing Christian faith with feminism. Yay me. Well, amen. Well, uh, we want to start out by just saying this. Uh, make no apology for what the Bible says ever. And so I don't have to worry about that part. Um, I do want to help you. It seems like I'm always having to correct a, a misconception. Um, I am not a lecturer up here giving my opinions about stuff. I'm here explaining what God says. And he says that to all of us. So whatever battle you may have today, it's really between you and God. Leave me out of it. And so there you go. But uh, with what's going on in our culture, uh, what, what we're going to preach today, it sounds like it comes from another planet. And uh, so I want you to, to be aware of that. And I want you to hear God out before you decide to disobey him. Okay? So I want to do that. All right. So I, I want to let, let me uh, do this, um, maybe walk you through just a little bit of the uh, feminist agenda in, in our country and what's been going on for quite some time. Feminism is, is a worldview. It's a way of looking at life. And when you look at life through the lens of feminism, then you make decisions in a certain way. And feminism has penetrated the American life and the education system and our culture. The, the premise is, the, the understanding of feminism is this, that women are unfulfilled and they are unhappy and they are dishonored by this male-dominated society in which they live. Therefore, having children and raising them according to the feminist worldview, is a limitation and a liability. To the feminist, differences between men and women are weaknesses. Therefore, the differences between men and women must be erased, and women must learn to duplicate the roles of men in order to be valuable. So, the result of that kind of thinking has led to the favorite sport in our culture today, male bashing, making fun of men. And you see that on commercials, you see it on television programs where men are made to look stupid and incompetent and that the world could only be saved by Wonder Woman, thank God for her, because Superman certainly could not have gotten the job done. And, and so um, you'll notice even in movies, if even superhero movies, they're very careful not to let the man rescue the woman. Be careful, don't do that. We have got to have a woman come and rescue the world. And so all of that kind of thinking is just an attempt to say that there should not be differences between men and women. Now you understand that taking that thinking to its logical conclusion uh, leads to all the gender confusion and the gender hate, hating and <clears throat> so on that goes on in our world today. On college campuses now, 
As a result of the feminist movement, there's a discipline of women's studies. Anybody taking women's studies yet? College? Well, amen. Hey, Randy. Did it do you well, brother? Yeah, Nick down here is right in the middle of it. Oh, you Chillicothe is leading the way. So women's studies, and it stresses women's literature, and it usually demeans anything that was written by what they call dead white European males. In these courses, Christianity is seen as an abusive religion because of its emphasis on the differences of roles between men and women. Christianity is an abusive religion because their savior is male. The language of the Bible is patriarchal. God is the father, not the mother. In fact, all the human writers of the Bible are male. So the Bible could not possibly have anything relevant to say to females. God being presented as father could not possibly understand females whom he created. This has also led to the feminization in the American school system. The values and the methods favor girls over boys in most cases. Competition is minimized. Everybody gets a trophy. All the children are equally winners. While relational and non-aggressive activity is emphasized, boys are disciplined for being too rowdy at recess, and they're instructed to sit and play nice. Do you know what we played when I was in school as boys in elementary school? We played with pocket knives. <laughs> Brother knives. I remember being in high school bringing my shotgun into the school building to show the assistant principal my new shotgun. It's what boys do. Mr. Farmer, our assistant principal, told me and Mark, go outside and settle it. And you would find that a little violence and a punch in the mouth settles things. <clears throat> Constantly feminizing boys. I saw in this one situation where a, an elementary school kid was taken to the office at school because he jumped over a bench during recess. What do you think a boy's going to do? There's a bench. I bet you can't jump it. I bet I can. So what if they fall down and have to have three stitches? It's not going to hurt anything. They'll be fine. They'll learn not to jump over the bench next time. But that's our world today. Notice the commercials. And fatherhood. What has happened to fatherhood? Supposedly now you're a good father. If you get off from work early, go home and work with your kids on weaving baskets. What a great father. Men, you're supposed to be out conquering the world. That's what men do. Just notice the commercials and this makes me sick. But it's feminization. And men are the problem in society, so we have to emasculate them. 
That's the way it works. Brothers and sisters, I would submit to you that most of the problem that I've ever had in ministry with church members is related to this. That men are men and women are women. And there's a difference. And the Bible declares it. And the women will grab their little honey by the hand and say, we're not staying here for this. And he will say, yes, ma'am. And they leave. Pastor, you just have an attitude that unlike any other preacher. Well, that's true. The goal of society has now become to erase the differences between men and women. To nullify male leadership in every role. And to eliminate male tendencies in society. Now, it is true that under patriarchal system, sometimes there are abuses. But it's not because of the system, it's because of sin. Sin can be addressed. Sin can be repented of. Sin can be disciplined. How do you discipline a gender? The problems that we do have is not corrected by rebelling against God's design. The problems are corrected by embracing God's design and living appropriately. Now, in 1 Timothy, this is talking about what is our message, what's the true message of the gospel. It talks about what are true ministers, what does that look like, and then what is the ministry supposed to be like. It addresses those, those three areas. It also addresses in the ministry what is public worship ministry. And today, this section of scripture is really talking about what's supposed to go on in public ministry. During the public worship service, what's supposed to happen? And we talked about last week that one thing that's supposed to happen is that men are supposed to be engaged in praying. And they're supposed to be leading and praying. And whether it's praying with your family beforehand or praying with your family after, or leading and taking part in praying during public worship service, men are supposed to be leading out in that. But then we come to verse 9 of chapter 2, and it tells us, what are the women supposed to be doing? And so I want to give you three areas here of, of a godly woman, what she's supposed to be doing and how she's supposed to be doing it. I want you to see verses 9 and 10, how the godly woman looks. I get to play fashion design critique now this is fun verses 9 and 10 the bible says likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works How the godly woman looks, and this pertains particularly to public worship, but in general, it would apply all the time. First of all, look at her cosmetics, that the women adorn themselves, the women adorn themselves in respectable apparel. The word adorn is a translation of the Greek word from which we get the English word cosmetics. And the word really means to put things in order. And ladies... Christian women do not come to worship service looking disheveled and disorderly. Get it together. 
You see, <clears throat> you're thinking that the Bible here is going to say, don't look too pretty. Next week, we'll be handing out masks and sackcloth for the women. <clears throat> it's not saying that. What it's saying is that <clears throat> we should get our lives together and get it in order. Clothing should reflect order, not chaos. Sometimes when you're looking at fashion, ladies, and I, I have a great sympathy for you. I go shopping with my wife sometimes. I don't shop a lot. I read Puritan paperbacks while she shops. But what you all have to go through and looking at all of that stuff, it's crazy. I mean, for us, we go, okay, there are a pair of Wranglers right there. There's a flannel shirt. We're done. And so that's what guys do, right? <clears throat> but you ladies, there's about 28 million options. And, and then the model that they got wearing, it looks like a stick. And so then you're like, well, that doesn't fit me. Well, of course not. We don't have any sticks walking around here. And so you're trying, you know, it looks good on the model. You know, what they've got on the picture or on the mannequin looks great. And you get it on and you come out looking, well, like Fred Flintstone. So it's just not good. It's just tough. So I have great sympathy for you. I lectured a guy one time. We were, our wives were shopping and he was giving her a hard time. Well, I mean, we had been in there an hour and 15 minutes. We'd been there a while. And he's giving his wife a hard time. Would you hurry up? Would you? So she went back in the dressing room, and I pulled him aside, and I said, hey, man. He said, yeah. I said, look around in here. We're in this women's clothing store, you know. And I said, uh, could you, if your life depended on it, go pick up three articles of clothing and match them? He said, Lord, no. And I said, secondly, does your wife look like that woman on that picture there? He goes, well, no. And I said, so anything in here, could you even imagine it fitting her? <clears throat> he said, well, I don't know. And I said, and she comes out of here saying, how does this look? And then you're trying to figure it out. And uh, I said, do you understand what they go through? I said, for me and you, we can walk down here and get a pair of jeans at American Eagle, and we're pretty much done. Jeans and T-shirt, done. Fifteen minutes, me and you are done. He said, yeah. I said, it ain't that way here. He goes, you're right. So she came out. <clears throat> He was a lot sweeter. I was watching him. He was a lot sweeter to her. And she actually bought something and they left. As he was leaving, he said, thank you. I said, man, it goes a lot better if you just be nice. So it, it's just ridiculous. So American clothing. But, but realize this. Clothing is a message. What you wear is a message, ladies. And so are you wanting to communicate the message that as a Christian, my life is in disorder and disarray? And I know that where you have to go to buy stuff, it looks like they design things to be in disarray. It's, it's a mess. I don't know how you put it together. But as a Christian lady, your clothing should reflect order. It's not a good testimony to Jesus to look ragged. Now, you don't have to go buy the most expensive things off the rack. That's not what this is saying. But it is saying that you should put some thought into it. Now, we see some wording here that is is perhaps uh, concerning to some of you. And the Bible here says, uh, respectable apparel, with modesty, self-control. And then it says, not this, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. What is costly attire? Well, to 90% of the world, y'all are it right now. 
Every one of you. So I want you to be careful about judging other people because costly is relative to the person's household. So be careful about that. Uh, just because you're jealous that some woman's prettier than you doesn't mean you have to run her down because you don't like her purse, okay? So get over it. Quit being so catty. I've got a lot to say about this. So I'll, we're way past that mark. So um, what does this mean? Well, here, here's the principle. Do, you, should you not wear um, jewelry? For example, I mean, it seems to be the Bible's here saying don't wear any jewelry. Well, Rebecca wore jewelry. Sarah wore, wore jewelry. I mean, we have all kinds of godly women in the Bible wearing jewelry. So it's, that's not really the issue here. The issue is these women in Ephesus were getting decked out so extravagantly that all the attention went to them in the worship service. So here's the principle that you're really looking for. Am I, ladies, am I dressing in, in such a way that I'm drawing such attention to myself that it causes people to get their eyes off of Jesus? You don't want to dress in a way that causes you to be the center of attention. Well then, you know, should I wear makeup? Dear God, yes, please wear makeup. Uh, my pastor, when I was a kid, used to say, bless God, coat of paint will help any old barn so wear some makeup it's fine you're inclined to should I color my hair Lord yes do it you know should I wear jewelry yes wear it but here's the thing before you leave home you don't want to be the person that everybody has their attention on you say well is this about me no it's about women too because the women really dress for each other guys I don't know if you know that they really dress for each other because they want the other ones to go, oh, that's so cute. And so where did you get that? And um, so on and so forth. So I know how that works. And, uh, and I know also here is, for, guys, get this. Here is how women um, demean each other. Don't say anything. If a woman gets a new hairdo and the other women don't say anything, oh, boy. We're going back to the beauty shop on Monday. So that's the way it works. Guys, it's a weird world. So that's how things work. So ladies, the, the principle here is just this. Just don't dress in such a way that it overly draws attention to yourself. Or that you're trying to be a show-off with your wealth and make other people feel like they're not worthy. That's not what you're supposed to do. Okay, so the, the, that's the point here. So don't, don't go overboard on this and, and come in here looking like a bunch of Amish people next week. I don't need that. All right, so, the, and so some of you, and, and here's the other thing. Everybody here listening, get a sense of humor. <laughs> uh, some of y'all going to come by the Andrew room like, Pastor, I think it's just a sin against God if you make fun of Amish people. Okay. Can we live or are we just going to be so tight? I mean, good grief. Maybe you should join them. So it's cosmetics. Giddy up, horsey. Now then, her character. Verse 10 says this. The character is this. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. In other words, 
how do you really know, ladies, how do you really know what to wear? How do you really know how much uh, makeup to put on? How do you know how much jewelry to wear or what jewelry to wear? How do you really know? What are you trying to profess? Are you trying to profess godliness? Are you trying to communicate godliness? That's how you dress. You let your heart tell you under the authority of the word of God, I want to express godliness and as a result, that's how I'm going to dress. Now I want to say to you, you can come in here all clothed up like it's 1800 and you'll draw attention to yourself. So it's not necessarily a style that we're looking at here. Styles change. We get that. But in the midst of all of that style changing, you have to ask yourself if wearing this, does it communicate godliness? Because my character is what I want to be clothed in more than the latest fashion. Now, ladies, let me also say this to you. Some of you were ugly in high school. And you couldn't get a date with the football captain. And it damaged your soul. And as a result of that, you have this agenda. That's never going to happen to my daughter. And so you're putting her out there like bait. Oh, she looks so cute in those really short shorts, you say. She's in the eighth grade. And you're saying to yourself, oh, I, just, I just don't want that to ever happen to her. No, you need to teach her from the beginning, dress for godliness. You are different from the rest of the world. You need to profess godliness. Dear Lord, I was a teacher at a Christian school for a while. Most miserable six months of my life. So they had a dress code. Of course, have a dress code. And so the dress code was, you know, the girls had to wear a skirt, you know, that wasn't short. Well, it's fine. I think it's a good idea. And, and so just to show you how sin works. So I think it was something like you had to put your hand down and then if it had to be past the end of your hand or something like that. So we, we had, you know, this, stu- this style. Well, these girls started wearing long skirts. And they were so stinking tight that the girls could hardly walk. They were coming in like, you know, like they're mermaids. Past the dress code. Do you know what the problem is? Here's the problem. When you start trying to regulate according to length and inches and so on and so forth, you're going to fail because you're going to for legalism now. Legalism doesn't work. It's asking the will to buy willpower to do X, Y, and Z. That will, that, that will always rebel. What you have to shoot for, ladies, is the heart. What's going on in my heart? In my heart, am I trying to profess godliness? And if you will live by that principle, you'll dress appropriately. You'll wear the right kind of jewelry and all those other things. You'll have the right kind of hairstyle. You won't have to worry about the rest of it. The problem with these women in Ephesus were they were not worried about godliness. They were worried about appearance and appearance alone. It was like a fashion show. Now, some of you think, well, the women should come in wearing hats like they did in the old days. Oh, dear Lord, that became a parade who had the nicest hat. Yeah, I grew up in that era when women wore hats to church. My grandmother had one, two or three or ten, I don't know, wore those things. You know, and, and so, yeah, but then you're, so what's the problem there? They're worried about being decorated with hats rather than professing godliness. 
And so your goal in, is to profess godliness. Now, here's what the feminists would say. The feminists would say, we shouldn't have to worry about it. If a man looks at me that way, that's his problem. No, ladies, it's your problem too. I, I, I don't want to see what you got. Save it for your husband. I, I don't need to see it, okay? And, and secondly, you don't look near as good as you think you do. So we don't, we don't need to see it. And your teenage daughter, we don't need to see it. So some uh, Girls, listen to me. Some of it's better left the imagination. Trust me. You don't need to, you don't, if you're going to get a guy that way, welcome to hell. That's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. So, so don't. I, I want you to look pretty. I want you to look cute. I don't want anybody to say about Baptist women, dog, they're ugly. I, I mean, I don't want anybody in Chillicothe to go, man, if you join that church, your wife just gets ugly right off the bat. They just, <laughs> I do not want that. So we're not here saying women can't wear jeans. We're not here saying women can't wear pants. We're not here saying, you know, you can't ever wear a pair of shorts, ladies. We're not saying that. What we're saying is just simply this. Let godliness guide your choices. Does this present the testimony that I want to present that represents the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I have, believe it or not, over my years in ministry, I've been criticized for wearing a suit and tie. Well, you... You shouldn't do that. It makes people feel uncomfortable, they say. You're trying to flaunt. Well, I'm sorry you don't look as good as me. That's your problem. Because you're too big to get one on. Ain't my problem. But you know what? Here's what I was taught. If you're the pastor, you represent the king. Act appropriately. So, I already know that among pastors in Chillicothe, my guns are the best. I don't need to show them off, right? Whatever. I hate that stuff where pastors do like that. It's stupid. His character, her character is, be proper for women who profess godliness. Now, how does the godly woman learn? We're talking about public worship here now. How does she learn? Well, verse 11 talks about her learning. We've already talked about how she looks. Now, how does she learn? Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. That sounds popular. Now, what is her approach to learning? She learns quietly. Now, this is talking about in the public worship service that the woman is to take the role of the learner. She is not given the role of teacher. Let's just translate it out. Beth Moore ought not be speaking to mixed crowds. It's wrong. And her doing so and insisting upon so proves her own rebelliousness. That's why we don't do her studies here anymore. Ladies. She, she, she represents a kind of feminism that's been baptized in Christianity. Where is her husband? Where is he, by the way? He needs to have a talk with his wife. She's not the teacher. Spiritual equality. Here's the principle. Spiritual equality does not eliminate the need for orderliness. So it's still orderly. And the woman is to be the learner. This doesn't mean that she can't sing 
It doesn't mean that she can't say a word. But it means that she must not fill the role of spiritual leadership, especially teaching men. And so she's to learn. And her approach to learning is to learn quietly. Now, what is her attitude in learning? With all submissiveness. That just means not being disorderly, not being haughty, not be, not be challenging, not be rebellious. Ladies, you're going to have to get over the devil's lie that the only place of significance is that of leading. It's not the only place of significance. What I do doesn't matter more. It's just different. But what I'm doing right now doesn't matter more than other acts of service that have been carried on here today. It's just different. So we want to get over that. And by the way, uh, you know, it just ain't going to work if we let uh, a couple give a missionary testimony and the woman lectures me from this platform. That couple ain't long for this church. It ain't going to work. So just understand. I'm a really nice guy. I really, I really want to be, but it's, it's hard. So here's the woman, how she looks, and here's how she learns. Now, what about how the godly woman is led? Verses 12 through 15, give us that. Look at this. The Bible says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And those go together, teach and exercise authority over a man. It's not teach is one thing, and then exercise authority over a man is another thing. Those are the same. I do not allow a woman to teach in the public worship service that is uh, uh, exercising authority over a man because teaching is an act of authority. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, there are a lot of things to untangle here. I'll get to what I can. So, uh, how the godly woman is led. Now, what are, what are her restrictions? He says in verses 12, 13, 14, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. This means that she must not teach other men. We don't even do it in Sunday school here. To have our ladies teaching adult men. We, we just don't. It's setting a bad example. And so here the Bible is clear that that's not supposed to happen. Now, you can say, well, is this a cultural problem or is it just something of the day? I know people have said, hey, it's just something of the day and, and uh, there's a problem in Ephesus only. But the, the problem with that interpretation is you don't take the rest of Scripture into account. He links this up with the creation. That makes it a universal theme. That makes it for all time. What about the scripture out of Galatians that said there's neither male nor female? That means to be saved. It's not talking about order in the church. But the feminist movement that like to take some pieces of Christianity want to quote back to us Galatians 3, 28, I believe it is. Now, there's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. That means it doesn't matter and, and roles don't matter. That's not what that's saying. That means access to salvation is the same for everybody. It doesn't mean that the way function takes place in the local church that it's the same for everybody. It doesn't mean it that way. So here we have what the Bible is saying is we, 
have this order. And the order is based upon creation. And we have the example from the Garden of Eden that's put before us here. That when God's order is ignored, that's exactly what happens. What happened in the Garden of Eden? The Bible says that even though Adam was formed first, meaning that therefore Adam is the leader in the family, Adam was not the one who was deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a transgressor. How did she become deceived? Because Adam let her deal with the snake. Adam let her deal with the serpent. Adam let her deal with the devil. Rather than stepping up and saying, honey, I got this. And walking her away from that tree. Nope, he didn't. Eve decided, I'm just going to go do this. And Adam let her. And then Adam, seeing that his wife had fallen into sin, he followed. Willingly, with eyes wide open, he followed. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden when the order was reversed. I was on flight one time going to, I think, Ethiopia. I like to, get, I like to fly internationally because you, you get all kinds of people on there. And um, so there's three or four people across, and there was a, woman sitting over next, a younger woman sitting next to me, and she was from Switzerland. So I'm sitting next to a woman. I just don't talk to her much. I just, hey, how you doing? Good morning, whatever, and I sit down. So I'm reading a book. I'm reading. I'm reading C.S. Lewis, you know. And so I'm reading this, and she's looking over my shoulder. I can tell she's looking. I'm not going to say anything to her. I'm turning pages like really slow. So she finally says to me, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. What are you? I said, uh, I'm a human. How about you? Imagine two humans on the same flight, you know. So she began to talk a little bit, and so she began to tell me. I said, well, where are you going? She said, well, I'm, I'm going to... I think we were going to Ethiopia. She said, I'm going to Ethiopia. I said, what in the world are you going there for? And uh, she said, well, my fiancé is there. I said, okay, great. I said, how long y'all been engaged? Three years. Okay. Um, so, like, you're staying with him when you get there? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Um, well, you think something's wrong with that, she says. Oh, no, I, I, me? I think it's a great idea. The, the, the problem is, though, that God has a different plan, I think. Oh, one of those. And um, so we began to talk about what the Bible says about marriage. I'm telling you, she tried to leave that seat, but there was nowhere else to sit. She got up. She was so angry because I'm, I'm telling her about this, but from the Garden of Eden, she was so angry. She got up. I can't take this. And she got up and she looks around. There are no seats left. She had to come back and sit down. And so I got to finish the story. I thought she started it. And so, but the world has, the world rebels against this. Adam's the leader. Christ is the head of man, and man is the head of woman, is what the Bible says. And so they rebel against this. But this is exactly what happens here, that Adam did not take leadership. He left his wife dangling out there. He didn't step up. He followed. And as a result, there was disaster. Sin came into the world. Now, be sure of this. Both of them ignored God's design. Both of them did. Not just one. So they both are responsible 
for what they've done. Eve's, and here's the other point here, Eve's role as the support for the leadership of her husband was not a punishment for the fall. That design was already in place before the fall. Adam was created first, then Eve. The point of this scripture is the reason that the fall from God happened is because they ignored the original design. Now, the feminist movement, it's egalitarianism. Everybody is interchangeable. Makes no difference. Male, female, it has no bearing on anything. Here at our church, we teach complementarianism. The roles are different, but they complement one another. That's what we teach for the family, and we also teach it for our church family. So Eve's punishment, as you know, was the pain of childbearing. Now somebody, a little girl was in Sunday school one time, and they were doing the story of the fall of man, and so the teacher stopped and said, Now, what was Eve's punishment for sinning against God? And the little girl said, Well, she had to crawl around on her belly and eat dust the rest of her life. Well... Some people think that's what we're saying about women, and it is not true. But we are saying that there are roles here to be taken. Now, her role, the Bible says that she'll be saved through childbearing. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean if she has children, she gets to go to heaven? Well, once you have that first child, you'll find out that's not what's happening. So, it doesn't mean that. This is talking to a Christian woman. Obviously. So it's not about salvation from sin that we're talking about here. What does it really mean? Well, the stigma of woman being the cause of the fall of humanity. How is that reversed? Her punishment for her disobedience of God was pain and childbearing. But it's interesting that also through that pain of childbearing is how she reverses the stigma. How, How does she do it? She gives birth to children and she helps her husband raise those children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so actually what she has to go through as a reminder of her failure actually becomes her, quote, salvation because it reminds her, hey, remember the fall? You've got to do something with these kids. You've got to help them to come to Jesus. You've got to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Remember, the curse upon all of mankind, including the children that you're giving birth to, they are apart from God. They're not born connected to God. They're apart from God. You are going to have to do the job to nurture them to Jesus. It's interesting that with men, what is our punishment? Well, it's through sweat and, and toil and all of that. You know, we've got thorns and thistles and stuff. So we've got to, you know, get out there and work about six times harder to get the same thing done. But what is it that God wants you to do as a man? Labor. And it's through laboring that you regain your purpose in the world. Ladies, it's through raising children up the right way that you regain that purpose in the world. The purpose that God originally gave to you. Even though there's now pain associated with it because of the fall. And then it gives this statement at the end. If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Who is they? It's the man and the woman. It's talking about the household now. How, how is it that, that things are reversed You and your household, men and women, husband and wife, you continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control as the way to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And by God's grace, they will come to Jesus and be saved. 
That's our purpose. Now, here's the thing about feminism. Feminism would tell you, ladies, that that purpose is insignificant. Feminism would tell you, because you're not the CEO of the bank, that what you're doing has no bearing in the world. That it matters nothing. It has nothing to do with anything. As a matter of fact, you're stuck at home. And what you're doing with these children, raising them, it's demeaning. And you're wiping noses and cleaning up puke. And so, how in the world could that possibly be anything that's praiseworthy? That kind of thing is belittling. Your man is off conquering the world and getting all the accolades. And you are being caged up here in the home. You're being put in jail, as it were. You're slave labor at home with these children. You need to break out of that and go do something real. That's what feminism will tell you. What the Bible is telling you is the opposite. The Bible is telling you that raising those children is the real deal. Raising those children is the thing of significance. Now guys, y'all need to quit being mamas. Lord have mercy What is this thing where men take six weeks off for paternity leave when their wife is the one that went through the pain? What is that? Get to work. She didn't want you at home anyway. My wife's like, when I change diapers, my wife be like, hey, you might want to let up on that. I think they're losing circulation in their legs. You know, just let me change it. Just let me change it. Why is the kid crying? You know, so, yeah. So, guys, get out there and conquer the world. Ladies, raise those children up. That's the design. What is so wrong with that? What is so, what is so bad about that? So, this order is also to be modeled in the church. Now, men, let me lecture you for a moment. Let me chastise you a little bit. Do you want your wife to follow your leadership? Do you want her to willingly get behind you? That's what submission means. Just to willingly get behind you and get behind your leadership. Do you want that? Then you have to model it when you're under authority. You see, some of you are involved in organizations that are teaching you to rebel against the church. They're Christian organizations, and they're teaching you to rebel against the church. They're teaching you to rebel against men, to rebel against spiritual authority. You're the priest in the home. Nobody tells you anything. That's a sin against God, and it's false teaching. It's of the devil. You are under spiritual authority. The scripture here, men, is telling you that your pastors and your elders, that you're under their spiritual authority. Model that for your family. If you're going to be rebellious under the little bit of authority that you're under, and you're going to model that for your family, don't be surprised when they rebel against yours. You've got to model that. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean as a man you never disagree? Of course it doesn't mean that. Model disagreeing appropriately. Don't act like a baby. If you disagree, disagree appropriately. Make sure your disagreement is over something of significance. 
I'm telling you right now, some of you, I'm going to go off on you if we have a church split over masks and Lysol and temperature taking. You're driving me nuts. This stuff is not significant. It's just where we are right now in the world. I'm promising you this, we are not doing this forever. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm at my wit's end about it anyway. But if you're going to, don't pick things, make sure it's a hill to die on before you go to battle. Don't, don't, don't go for the stupid things. Don't go home and roast your pastor at the lunch table or at KFC in front of your children and your wife. I'm telling you, they'll transfer that to you. It's coming your way, bub. So you have to model for them, this is what it looks like. Is, is there ever going to be a time when your wife is going to disagree with you? Oh, absolutely. Let me, just, just, let me narrow it down. Remote control. There you go. So is she ever going to disagree? You need to model for her how you disagree with someone that has leadership over you so that she knows how to disagree with you appropriately. If you don't model it, you just got what you asked for. So model that. Have a, have a soft heart. Cultivate that. Some people are just kind of set to this thing of like, oh, I know it must be a conspiracy against the family. We're going to rise up against everything. Really? Now, come on. D don't be that kind of person. Turn Glenn Beck off. Just turn it off sometimes. Okay? It, it's not always good. Mark Levine, turn it off. Rush Limbaugh, turn it off. Those people have to get ratings. So they're not always accurately portraying the world. You need to go to the Word of God. Get the Bible, and that's how you lead your family. You, as a man, have to be the kind of leader that your wife wants to follow. Remember, the Scripture says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. It doesn't say husbands make your wives submit. It never says that. It's a voluntary action by an equal who under the lordship of Jesus has decided that the Lord's way is the best and is willingly going to do it. You make it easy for her to follow. Ladies, you know how it is in my ministry. I am totally dead set against your husband. This is a message to women and I got him too. Guys, I'm for you. I know what the world's doing and I know what they're saying to you. And I'm just urging you and exhorting you on Christian leadership, men. Christian leadership. Be masculine, but be kind. Be tough, but be gentle. Hate sin. Love your Savior. Show your family how to lead. How do we wrap something like this up? I don't know, but I'm wanting to. I think, I think simply this. Uh, we have a choice here. Every family here, you have a choice. People are not even married yet. You, you need to go ahead and make your choice now. Everybody has a choice. We're either going to do home and church according to the world's view or according to God's view. You just have to decide you, you've got to decide it. Now, certainly there are times when the order is abused. 
I know pastors, I've, I've, I've seen it, you have too, where pastors abuse spiritual authority. We've all seen that. There's nothing wrong with God's design, though. There's a flaw in the leader. We've seen families where men have abused their authority. There's nothing wrong with God's design. There's something wrong with the leader. So just because the leadership is wrong doesn't make God's design flawed. The flaw is in the people. But sin can be corrected. Sin can be repented of. Sin can be disciplined. So don't go out and create your own order and your own way of doing things. Do family and do church the way God has said. Orderliness and and godliness go together. We must learn to celebrate the differences. Ladies, I'm going to ask you to do something. If this is a habit of yours, I want you to stop the habit of saying belittling things about your husband to anybody at any time. Learn to respect him. I realize he's got a long way to go to earn all that respect. I I get that. But he's not stupid. He's not incompetent. He's not a moron. He's your husband. Support him. Help him. In the world in which we live, there aren't many people for us, ladies. Most of the world is against us. You may be the only cheerleader in the world that he has. You, on the other hand, show him what following looks like. It may be that your following of him helps him to learn how to follow Jesus better. Show him what that looks like. In our church and in your family, celebrate the differences. Our goal is this. We must bear the testimony of the transforming power of Jesus in our lives. And we do that by following his design even from creation, even until now, following that design. It's counter to what the world says. It doesn't seem to make sense. It's the opposite of what people believe in our day. Therefore, we must live it all the more to show them that Jesus really does save. Well, let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you so much for giving us instruction and order. Thank you, Father, that we don't live life just trying to figure it out as we go. But, Lord, you have, by your grace and by your mercy, given to us specific design and direction. Lord, help us to model this in our church, our church family, so that our biological families would also know how to order their families. Lord, help our biological families to order their families rightly so it would help the church family to be ordered correctly. Lord, our whole point is that we may, through order, through mutual respect, through the design that you've given to us, that we may model before the world, this is God's design, and it can only be accomplished by the power, work, and life of Jesus in the hearts of sinners. Lord, would you bring us to deep conviction over that? Would you help us to pursue this design with all of our hearts? And Father, may it be a testimony to your saving grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen.